Hey, Urban Farm Podcast listeners. If you're as passionate about preserving the bounty of each season as we are, hey, I canned my first peaches at the age of 18, and that was a long time ago, then you're going to love what our friends over at Denali Canning have in store for you. They're on a mission to spread the love and knowledge of food preservation, and they're inviting you to join the journey for free. Right now, Denali Canning is offering free canning lids to anyone who wants to dive deeper into the world of food preservation. Yes, you heard that right. Absolutely free. It's the perfect opportunity for both seasoned canners and those curious about starting. Denali is about quality, reliability, and supporting the canning community, ensuring that you get the best results every time you preserve. So why not give it a try? Visit DenaliCanning.com forward slash free to claim your free lids and start your preserving adventures today. That's DenaliCanning.com forward slash free. Greetings, urban farmers, gardeners, and healthy food visionaries. Farmer Greg here, and welcome to the 763rd episode of the Urban Farm Podcast, where every day we work together to educate and inspire you to become part of your food revolution. Today on our podcast, we have someone who organizes trials of new plant varieties with professional judges throughout North America. We're talking with Diane Blazik about new plant evaluations. Diane is the executive director of All America Selections and National Garden Bureau. She has been deeply and happily immersed in gardening from an early age. From growing up on a small family farm in Missouri to her small suburban lot in the Chicagoland area, she is passionate about everything green. After spending 15 years with Ball Publishing, Diane moved to take on her current role where she can be even closer to the end consumer. Both All America Selections and National Garden Bureau are in an exciting period of growth and influence, both inside and outside the industry, with innovative ideas and progressive programs for consumers, garden communicators, public gardens, and a full range of growers and retailers that have benefited all segments of the horticulture industry. Welcome to the show today, Diane. Are you ready to rock? Oh, I'm totally ready to rock. Awesome. So I shared a bit about you. Can you fill in the blanks for us and share more about the path you took to get where you're at today? Sure. I think growing up on a farm, it just ingrains something in you. You love to be outside. You love to be digging in the dirt. You understand what it takes to grow something. So ironically, I went to college and I had decided I wanted to be a dietitian. But at the time, my sister was newly married and the two of us are very different. She hates to cook, whereas I loved to cook. But she told me, she goes, really, you want to be a dietitian? You're going to have to cook for the rest of your life. And being my adored older sister, I paid attention to everything she suggested So I changed my degree away from dietetics to business management. And that's got me where I am now is managing a business. But I did get back to my roots when I started at Ball Publishing, meaning I started getting into the horticulture business. It wasn't agriculture like my upbringing, but it was close enough and it all worked out. 
So when you say the horticulture business, say a little bit more about that. What is that? So horticulture really involves things you think of that go in your garden or in your yard. That would be horticulture. There's sub segments of that, like floriculture, that's growing of flowers, whereas horticulture would involve the annuals, the perennials, the trees, the shrubs, the grass, etc. So it's a pretty broad industry, and it is a very segmented industry, but I do like to describe it as horticulture, just so it encompasses everything that you might be planting outdoors. Oh, but I guess it also includes indoor plants too. When I think about it, foliage, house plants, it also involves that. So again, very broad reaching. But the end, there's so many supplies and so many niches and so many things to be done in this industry. It's oh, not yeah. just about food. Yeah, it's about food and beauty and ecological, a rain garden, or the way you plant the green infrastructure within a city or a village. It's really all-encompassing. Wow, cool. And when we introduced you today, we introduced a couple of organizations that are new to me. Given that I grew up on the West Coast, there's not a whole lot of infrastructure for stuff like gardening but when I got out here to Asheville, I discovered the National Garden Bureau. So you're the executive director for that organization. Can you give us just a little bit of information about that? Sure. Yes. All America Selections is one of our nonprofits that we run from this office and National Garden Bureau is the other. We're going to primarily talk about All America Selections today, but National Garden Bureau is a little bit more broad reaching, whereas All America Selections is very focused on plant trialing. National Garden Bureau our main mission is to inspire and educate anyone and everyone about all things related to gardening and horticulture. Nice. And what does that look like? It looks like my brain is going a thousand miles a minute every day, every minute, because <laughs> there's so many opportunities out there for additional ways that we can inspire and educate people. We've got a big social media following. We do blogs. We do a lot of information about new plant varieties. We inspire through combination programs. You name it. It's my list. I won't reveal any surprises, but we'll get around later to my list. My list are so long that they're unachievable, but still it's a challenge to try to accomplish all these things that I would like to when it comes to educating and inspiring the world. Nice. I have said for years, and this came from the gentleman that founded the Land Institute, I'm drawing a blank on his name, but he says, if you're not planning out a hundred years, you're not thinking big enough. I think I agree. <laughs> right? Yeah. Yes. What is All America Selections? So in very simple terms, which of course there's a lot of details we can talk about, we are a plant trialing organization. We do not choose what we trial. We work with breeders literally from around the world and they're always selecting and breeding new varieties for the market. They're always trying to improve what has already been released. They're always trying to breed new products that will make the gardener more successful. So what AAS, that's our acronym, and I will be using that periodically. What AAS does is we work with a network of professional horticulturists who volunteer their time volunteer their resources 
to trial all these new entries that are coming from these breeders. And it could be a vegetable, it could be a fruit, it could be an annual, it could be a perennial, it could be propagated from seed, it could be propagated from vegetative cuttings. So we have a pretty broad spectrum of things we can trial. We trial in ground, we trial in containers, that's something fairly new. So we get these entries in, we send them out to our judges, and they're the ones that are growing them, analyzing, evaluating, scoring, taking photos, sending that information back to this office. And then we get the task of analyzing all the scores, which basically means we become mathematicians and statisticians, and we're looking at what the judges send us. And that's how we determine if this new variety has scored high enough to become a potential AAS winner. A potential AAS winner. <laughs> yeah, you notice how I added potential in there. There's always more hoops that they have to jump through. So I'll take it to the next step. So we get these scores in and it's a, it's a range from one to five. So they have to have a four higher because Three is average, and average is not good enough to be an AAS winner. You have to be better than average. You have to be better than the stuff that's already on the market. So once we get that score, and then we go back to that breeder and we say, okay, you have a score. It means you could have an AAS winner, but is your marketing in place? Do you have all the photos? Do you have enough inventory, which could mean seed or it could mean production planning for vegetative cuttings, that kind of thing. Are you ready to accept this award? And we're dealing with mother nature. A lot of things happen. I mean, they could have a crop failure. They could have submitted it to us and then had a crop failure. And they're like, we lost the whole line. We're not ready. We can't accept it. Or for whatever reason, we've even had a breeder say, I entered that and it's good, but while it was in trial, we were working on the breeding and we came up with something even better. So I want to pull that out. I'm going to put the better version in and then that one can get trialed and might become an AS winner. So there's a lot of reasons why they might, they mean the breeder, might accept immediately. They might accept like in a year. They might decline the award. So on average, we get about 60 to 70. It's maybe 35 to 50% that actually become winners. And so I'm sitting over here listening what you're sharing, and I have to ask this question, why? <laughs> What's the big why here? Okay, that's a really good question. Our organization was founded in 1932. That was right between the two world wars. That is also the time when a lot of new hybridizing was being started. They had figured out this technique and it was really taking off. And back then it was just seed companies. Nobody was really doing much with vegetative propagation. Mm -hmm. so these seed companies were hybridizing. They were crossing two parents and they were coming with a F1 hybrid. And then they were promoting them. And I think I'm gonna call our founder a doubting Thomas. So he was working for the Southern Seedsman Association, and he was looking at it and saying, wait, 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 you're all saying this is the best petunia on the market. How can you all be saying it's the best petunia on the market? We need a neutral nonprofit organization that is going to do the evaluation and say, 
Yeah, you're right. These claims is exactly what it's doing. And being that most of them were annuals at that time, we want to know if they're going to do good throughout North America. So we trial in U.S. and Canada. Each trial has between 20 and 30 different trial sites. So we're trialing for all regions. Wow. So that's the why. This, this is amazing. This is, <laughs> from a growing and business perspective, this is, wow, how cool. It is cool. And, you know, I love telling the story. And I talk to a lot of gardener groups, master gardener groups, things like that. And what they most frequently say is, oh my goodness, I have seen that logo, you know, that capital A, capital A, capital S on the logo. I didn't know what it meant. I just thought there was like some alphabet. I had no idea that specific variety had to go through this in order to wear that logo. Wow. And so what does it mean to have an AAS winner plant? For, okay, so I talk about breeding companies. And then specifically within each breeding company, you have very well-educated PhD plant breeders. In the plant breeding world, an AAS honor is like one of the highest professional achievements you can get because not everything gets entered in the AAS trials. There's a lot of reasons you wouldn't enter something. And once you win that award, it means that your breeding work is just beyond. It is exceptional. And then for the companies themselves, it means that they're going to have a really good selling product because it has that AAS symbol on it. Take a, a seed company, a park seed, a geoseed, territorial, botanical interest, whatever. When they see it's an AAS winner, they're like, oh, that's a no-brainer. I'll definitely carry that one. Oh, but if right. it's not an AAS winner, they will probably have to trial it for themselves to see how well it does. But yet they know with an AAS winner, well... I don't need to trial it because it's already been trialed all over the U.S. and Canada. So it's going to do well for all my customers. Wow. All right. That's really cool, too. And how does a breeder and a plant get into the program? They have evaluations. They do their own internal proprietary trialing. They look at everything. And so let's say they come out with a new a series of Celosia. We'll just pick Celosia. And they're looking at it and they're looking at it next to other products. Strategically, as a business model, they might say, we're one of the only breeding companies that doesn't have a good line of Celosia. So we're going to introduce this line of Celosia just because if broker grower A and B really like to patronize us as a company, they've told us, well, you're really good, except you lack in Celosias. So if that breeding company comes up with another line of Celosia that's really good, but maybe is very equivalent to other Celosias on the market, they're probably not going to enter that into AAS. However, if they came out with a new series that had some phenomenal new characteristics. For example, the flowers don't fade. Celosia are definitely a heat-loving crop. You got to be able to withhold under this strong heat. That red needs to stay red. The orange needs to stay orange. Mm -hmm. So then the breeder would say, look, we have this new series of Celosia and we're going to put 
one or all of the colors into the AS trials because we want to prove that our flowers don't fade. And we actually have an example like that. It's called Flamma Orange. It's one of our newest Celosia winners. And the reason it won, it grew fantastic. It was easy to grow. It didn't succumb to heat. It didn't succumb to humidity. And it was the right height. And it was uniform. And then the flowers did not fade. So that was the outstanding characteristic of Flamma Orange Celosia and why it won. Wow. All right, so tell me, what's a celosia? It's the cutest little annual you'll ever see. <laughs> Let me describe, there's three different types of celosia. This is, we just did a webinar on this recently. There's a cristata type, which is crested. A lot of people might know that as a coxcomb celosia. It's an annual. It comes in reds, yellows, oranges, purples. It can be used as a cut flower, as a bedding plant. And then you have another type, which is a plumosa. That one might be the more common that people would know now when you go into your garden center, you'll see it. They're probably only eight inches in the packs or a pot or something. Think of a flame, a flame on a fire. That's what a lot of these celosia looks like that are the plumosa. Then you have another type called a spicata. And think of that as a spike, almost like wheat on the end of a stem. That's what a spicata celosia would look like. So we have a lot of different types of celosia, and it was one of those types, a plumosa type that was an AAS winner. So it is spelled C-E-L-O-S-I-A. I just looked them up. They are beautiful, aren't they? Aren't they, though? The reds, yellow, I mean, it's such a warm color tone. And like I said, they love the heat also. With weather conditions changing, they should do great for everybody because they love the heat and humidity. Yeah. Those are also called coxcomb, C-O-C-K-S, because they look like a rooster's comb. Exactly. Or a brain. Uh, Oh, there you go. Perfect. (laughs) Perfect. So this evaluation process, it's nothing to sneeze at. I can only imagine if you're trialing it in 20 different places, it's got to be over multiple seasons. Yes. Okay. So it's a very complex process. It takes a lot of time for our office to coordinate all of the trials. And when I was saying 20 to 30 different trial sites, that's for each trial. We actually have seven trials. And granted, a lot of judges will trial more than one category. So all total, we have close to 100 judges. Pretty much everything is trialed over one growing season. But for example, Louisiana Mm -hmm. starts their tomatoes. I think they plant them outdoors in January, where here in Chicagoland, we wouldn't be planting them outside until late May, early June. So each judge has his own growing season. But then for our perennial trial, it's a three winter trial. So they'll plant them in the summer. It goes over the winter, then it goes over the summer for three winters, and then we evaluate them in June after the three winters to see if they have overwintered satisfactorily. Wow. And so here's a curious question for you. Who can become an evaluator? Evaluators have to have trialing experience, which means they come from the industry It could mean that they work for a retail seed company. I mentioned Park Seed, Burpee, et cetera. They Mm -hmm. are our trial sites because they do trial their own things. 
the breeder companies themselves can trial, but they cannot judge or evaluate their own entries. We give them an E on their scorecard, and it's, that means they're exempted from giving any kind of scores on their own product. Right. Then public gardens, North Carolina State University has their public gardens down there, the J.C. Ralston Arboretum, Dallas Arboretum. They are some of our trial sites because they have trials so universities, public gardens, growers, some of the larger commercial growers do have their own trialing programs. It's very expensive to run a trialing program, but the growers do that because they need to know. Again, yeah. they're acting like all America's selections. Okay, Mr. Breeder, I'm a little skeptic, so I need to trial these for myself. So the growers do have trialing programs. So it's their, the people that are in charge of their trialing program become our judges also. So it's a process. They have to apply. They have to go through the first stage of approval with our combined judges committee, and then it gets approved by our board of directors. Wow. I've been an entrepreneur, self-employed for 50 years almost. And I know that when magic happens, there's been times in my life over the past 50 years when I was running a business and magic happened. Something got out to the media and it can either be a spectacular success or if it's too much, it could be a problem. What does it look like when somebody wins one of these awards? Oh, that's a great question. And I have an example of a variety that probably 99% of your listeners would be familiar with. So back, I'm going to say 25 or 30 years ago, but give or take, a new petunia was entered into the AAS trials, and it was from a company in Japan that was not really doing a lot of flower breeding. They just happened upon some things and came out with this petunia and had heard of All-America Selections, and so they entered it. The judges were absolutely wowed. It was a new trailing petunia. It spread. It was covered with flowers. The scores were great, but this company in Japan was like, now what do we do? <laughs> because they had no distribution. They were not currently selling in North America. So at the time, there was a lot of discussion. There was some introductions made. And this petunia was taken up by a company called Pan American Seed here in mm. Chicago, part of Ball Horticulture. And it became the very first wave petunia to hit the market. And I think we all know the success of the wave petunia line now. They have several different series. They have trailing and more upright and they have velvet colored ones. And it's a whole series of petunias now because between this company in Japan and Pan American Seed, they were able to buy the rights and it just took off. So yes, sometimes some things get entered into our trials that are just majorly successful. Wow. That's magic. As an entrepreneur, I've seen magic happen and it's always fun. Yes, in, indeed. And then I just love giving that example because it's something that maybe those breeders were just dabbling around and all of a sudden they were like, oh, cool. Look at what this petunia is doing. And I'm sure there's way more to the story than what I can tell. In fact, we did a blog on it. We did a blog all about the history of wave petunias. It's on our website. Perfect. What's your website? AASwinners.com. 
And can you speak to organic and non-GMO questions that people might have? Oh, sure. Yeah. If a company is breeding a product that goes into the AAS trials and decides it's in their wheelhouse to make seed available organically, absolutely. Some companies specialize in organic breeding. There's not a lot, and they might be the smaller companies, but one of the easiest, and let me back up, we do have organic trial sites. So if we have something that's conventional, those organic trial sites, unfortunately, can't even trial it. But if something becomes an AAS winner and is available as organic seed, we do make that known on our website. You can sort by organic and find out which ones. And ironically, we just did a blog on that also by listing some of the more recent AAS winners that are available organically. So that's part A answer to your question. The other one is about GMOs. And we know that there's a lot of controversy and opinions out there about GMOs. Actually, the technically correct term is genetically engineered. When we're talking about some of the concerns that people have, it really is about engineering. And it is about taking genes from one different organism and putting it into another organism by using technology. So let me say this. To date, our rule is that no genetically engineered item can be put into an AAS trial. The second part of that rule is we're not going to put a blind eye to advancements that may be really good and really accepted. I don't know if I'll see it in my lifetime, but there could be a day where there is a different type of genetic technology that does not have the concerns of Mm -hmm. what is currently out there. I don't know what that is. I'm not a genetic specialist. I'm not a plant breeder, but it's just the way that as of right now, no. There's nothing that's been genetically engineered that's in our trials or that's an AS winner. In fact, for the home garden market, I, you would be very hard pressed to find something. Oh, yeah. Uh, so we're covered in that area. It's just not part of the home garden world. Yeah. Uh, but like I say, we don't know where technologies go. I mean, think of IT, think of computers and Zoom and internet and everything like that. Even pre-COVID, we didn't know what would be happening and where technology would go. So the same thing right. applies to science and plant breeding. Got it. So just as a side note, hybrids is when you take watermelon A and watermelon B and cross-pollinate them and you get watermelon C, which is seedless and really sweet. Yes. Uh, it, it can still be a seeded watermelon too. You can have a hybrid. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. And then genetically modified or genetic engineering, they actually take a gene from say a fish and put it in a tomato. So that's the difference. I'm not making a judgment call here. That's just, that's the data on the difference between them right. for those listening. Cool. All American Selection is an organization. It's a nonprofit. How does me as a consumer interact with you? Good question. I would say the first way is just when you see that logo, 
on a seed packet, in a catalog, on a website, at your local garden retailer, you now know what it means. So that's one of the first things. A very common question is, how can I get these AAS winners? You go to our website, theaswinners.com, and when you search for the AAS winners, every single winner that is still currently in commerce, keep in mind we're 91 years old, um, every single AAS winner that's still in commerce will have a little where to buy button. And for the most part, because it's online and we're dealing with e-commerce, for the most part, it's going to be the seed availability items, but the vegetative items, and I might go down a little detour here with an explanation, the vegetative items are typically available at your local garden retailer because they're vegetatively propagated and it's not mm -hmm. like they're selling those. So those items, typically have a much shorter lifespan than a seed item. And the reason for that is because it's much easier to introduce new traits in a vegetatively propagated item than it is through a seed item. So it's a little bit shorter of a breeding time. And those products are quite frequently displaced in the market by something newer and better. So if you're looking at an AAS winner and it's vegetatively propagated and it's from 20 years ago, chances are it's no longer available. Got it. So I just jumped on your website, all-americanselections.org all is the one I got redirected to. And pop-up came up and said, check out this year's winners. Absolutely. Yes, right we want you to always see the newest winners because that's so exciting. Yeah, so we got tomato and watermelon and begonias and squash, snapdragon, salvia, peppers, echinacea. Nice. Yeah, there's a good selection in there. There's seed items, there's vegetative items. We have that colocation, which is really cool. We pretty much always come out with a new tomato and a new pepper. And then some of the other things just round out the assortment, which by the way, if anybody is looking, you can sort by year. You can sort by annual class, perennial class, edible class, by year, by region. We didn't even talk about region. Do I have time to talk about that? Yeah. Okay, so when I was talking about being a mathematician and looking at the scores, so we look at all the scores, see what they are. If they're super, super high, like way above a four, it's probably going to be a gold medal winner. So when you look at our winners, you can sort by those. These are breeding breakthroughs. They don't happen very often. I've been here 12 years and there's only been three. So that tells you the frequency. Mm -hmm. So first off, scores highest gold medal. Then we look at everything else. And if it's a 4.0 or higher, then it's a national winner. And if it doesn't become a national winner, then we break out each region. So we typically have three to four judges per region, and we have six regions throughout North America. And then we say, this hot pepper did really well in the Southwest. Of course, it's not going to do well in Montreal, but if it does well in the Southwest, why not name it a regional winner? So you can also go in there and identify your region and search by things for your region. So it means... You can grow and be very successful with the gold medal winners. You can grow and be very successful with the national winners. You can also grow and be very successful with the regional winners for your region. Wow. How cool is that? That's one of the things you can find on your website. What else? 
We do have a blog. So this is all about inspiration, like I was talking about, and just other ideas for gardening. But another thing that you would ask, how do I interact? We have display gardens. So we have 200 public gardens across North America, U.S. and Canada. And if you want to click on that, click on your state, you can see the public gardens we work with in your local area. Now, keep in mind, 200 divided by 50 states and 10 provinces or so doesn't mean there's going to be somebody within five miles. You might have to drive a couple hours. But we do have wonderful display gardens that we send the new winners to every year, and then they display them. They have signage. They have little variety markers with a QR code. So if you're there and you see something, you can just scan your QR code. It'll take you to that page of our website that will tell you about our AAS winner. So that's our way of really showcasing these outstanding works of the breeding companies directly to the public. Nice. I'm just checking out North Carolina and gardens in North Carolina. So there you go. There, there should be a couple. I know JC Ralston is there. Yep. That's, I see that one and old 30 dirty family farm community garden in Jacksonville, North Carolina. That one is probably a community garden. They're a little bit newer for us. We do the upsurgence of community gardens, therapeutic gardens, teaching gardens. So some of them are also our AAS display gardens. Nice. This is amazing. Thank you so much for the education. I had no idea. Isn't it fun? It's, yeah, it's, wait a minute. That's what that little round circle brand means. That's right thing. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Awesome. I'm going to shift on you and I'd like for you to talk about a time you failed, how you overcame that failure and what you learned from it. Okay. Sometimes failures are embarrassing, but I couldn't be much more embarrassing than the reason I asked this question, which was a plant business that I started in 2004 and did everything wrong and lost $80,000. We can just put that aside. Yeah. Okay. This is not a money losing failure, but why it's embarrassing is because I grew up on a farm. I understand how the soil, what you're growing in, the nutritional aspects of soil is very important, right? I think I forgot that in my twenties. So I got married when I was 27 and my best friend, Molly got married shortly after I did. And so we both got married in the fall. The next summer, we both had bought a house and I was planting stuff around my yard and it was fine. And she said, can you come over and help me plant stuff? So I planted, it was some annuals. I don't remember what it was, but I remember digging around the patio in her backyard. And we literally had hammer and chisel out because it was so compacted. But at the time I wasn't even thinking how are these plants going to get their roots out in soil that I have to hammer away at? Mm-hmm. We planted them, we watered them. A week later, everything was dead. And it was over, of course, I knew then, but over the years, as I've learned more and more about the importance of the growing medium, what your little, poor little plants have to put their roots in, it's, oh, duh, I knew that. I just, <laughs> at the time, all we wanted to do was get these plants in the ground. And yeah. that was my failure as well as my friend Molly's failure. <laughs> yeah. And that's one of that's one of our biggest, deepest topics on the podcast in 750 episodes is healthy soil. 
Good. Teach and, everybody uh, that's the important thing. Yes, it, yes, it is. And what do you consider your biggest success? I'm going to say my relationship with my friends and family and my daughter. My daughter is mm. number one, friends and family, right close after that. But I couldn't be more proud of the relationships that I've established over the years. Nice. And what drives you? Oh, geez. I am such a list maker. I am so goal oriented, no matter what I'm doing in life. I have to have a list and it can't be a digital list unless I can check it off. So I guess it's list achievement, task mm -hmm. achievement. That's my driver. Getting it done. Yeah. yeah. Excellent. Yeah. If you could recommend one book for our listeners, what would it be and why? Oh, that's such an easy question. I love, love, love this book. The Last Lecture by Randy Pausch, P-A-U-S-C-H. Oh, yes. Have you read it? I haven't, but it's been oh. recommended multiple times in the past six months, interestingly enough. Yeah, it's a short book. It's an easy read. I've read it several times. It's life lessons to me. That's yeah. what it's all about. Yeah. And what one final piece of advice do you have for our listeners? Don't be afraid of failure. Life, gardening, work, whatever. Don't be afraid of failure. Because if you're too afraid of failure, you're not even going to try. And exactly. you just have to try something new. Amen to that. Thank you so much for joining us on the show today, Diane. It has been my pleasure. This was very fun and interesting. Oh, and I, and I shared with you before we started recording I do this podcast because I get to learn new things. And today was a learning experience for me. Good. I'm so happy to hear that. Yeah. And how can our listeners get a hold of you? The best way is directly on our website. We mentioned um, aaswinners.com. That'll redirect you to the longer URL, which is all-americaselections.org. It's going to pop up saying, do you want to sign up for our e-newsletter? You can do that. There's a contact form on there where you can ask questions. So that website is the best way. We're all over social media too. So just find us on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, YouTube, Pinterest. Awesome. Awesome. And you can find show notes from today's podcast at urbanfarm.org forward slash all America. We hope you enjoyed today's episode of the Urban Farm Podcast. Remember to listen for tips, advice, and resources to help you on your journey with urban farming. You can find us on the web at urbanfarm.org or send us an email to podcast at urbanfarm.org. In the words of Vincent Van Gogh, great things are done by a series of small things brought together. Be encouraged that with each lesson learned and skill developed, you are one step closer in the direction of your dreams. Hey, Urban Farm Podcast listeners. If you're as passionate about preserving the bounty of each season as we are, hey, I canned my first peaches at the age of 18, and that was a long time ago, then you're going to love what our friends over at Denali Canning have in store for you. They're on a mission to spread the love and knowledge of food preservation, and they're inviting you to join the journey for free. Right now, Denali Canning is offering free canning lids to anyone who wants to dive deeper into the world of food preservation. Yes, you heard that right. Absolutely free. It's the perfect opportunity for both seasoned canners and those curious about starting. 
Denali is about quality, reliability, and supporting the canning community, ensuring that you get the best results every time you preserve. So why not give it a try? Visit DenaliCanning.com forward slash free to claim your free lids and start your preserving adventures today. That's DenaliCanning.com forward slash free.